Hey, good evening. It's Greg Windorf, True Crime Podcast. It's, uh, what is it, Wednesday, October 25th, 2023. Getting back to the murder case of Irene Garza in 1960. It took place in McAllen, Texas, in Hidalgo County. It's on the border with Mexico. And we've been covering for the last, what, four days, getting into this case, which promises to be a long one. This goes in hand in hand with a book that I'm wrapping up, Killer in a Clerical Collar, which will be a true crime book about the 1960 murder of Irene Garza and the Catholic priest John Bernard Fight, who did the murder, committed the murder, and yet got away scot-free. Thanks to the Catholic Church, a corrupt DA at the time, Robert Lattimore, a corrupt Hidalgo County Sheriff at the time, E.E. E. Vickers, all of whom, both of whom rather, conspired with the Catholic Church to make a backroom deal and let fight cop to a lesser misdemeanor charge of assault of a woman that he attempted to rape three weeks before he killed Irene Garza. That trial changed the venue, went up to Travis County, because the Catholic Church got him one of the high-profile, most high-profile attorneys back in the day, Fred Simon, based out of San Antonio. So they went up to Travis County, had a deadlock jury 9-3, to three, not sure of the entire makeup of that jury, but I do know based on a report in San Antonio Express News that, how did they describe it? Twelve Protestants, one of whom was a Negro. So by that description, we know there were no women on the jury and no Catholics. So we have 12 Protestants, all men, one's a black guy. And so the jury came away deadlocked from that nine to three. And I've never quite figured that out because actually that trial, the woman he attempted to rape, ID'd fight. A woman outside the church saw him run out with a rag in his hand, which is the rag he used to try to cover her. The woman's name was Maria America Guerra and throw her down on the church floor and rape her. So two eyewitnesses place him at the scene, say he did it, and yet three people, three morons for whatever reason, San Antonio can't find reason to uh to rule or to uh vote guilty so the case comes back to Hidalgo County and it was that time somehow and it started with the Catholic Church made a deal with the DA and the sheriff and they completely covered this up so yesterday on the stand was a guy and a local attorney named Daryl Davis who's in this, I believe, 77 and 19, I'm sorry, 2017, which is when the trial of John Fight took place. So he kills Irene Garza in April of 1960, spends the next 56 years just totally, he ultimately left the church in approximately 1970, got married, had kids, had a family, while Irene dead at 25, lays in in her grave, all for 56 years until, finally, tables turned, an election in Hidalgo County brought in a new district attorney who took a new look at the case, took it to a grand jury, 
and found probable cause and extradited him back from Arizona, where he was living at the time, to Hidalgo County. And fight at the time, he was rather shocked. I think he told the judge who uh, was handling the extradition before fight waived uh, it, and he was brought back to Texas. He told the Arizona judge something to the effect, and I'm paraphrasing, that he can't believe this is actually happening because it took place so long ago. So in his mind, he was free and clear, which you would expect. He spent a 56 years of beating the rap, thanks to the corrupt DA and the corrupt sheriff. And uh, But finally, he paid for his sins. He was convicted in first week of December 2017. He died in Huntsville State Prison in either January or February of 2020. So what well, he spent uh, 18, 19, a month, and 20 in prison, and when he was brought back from Arizona in, I think, February of 2016, the trial started in November of 2017, he spent that entire time in Hidalgo County Jail. Um, so, that that something. Anyway, yesterday, we uh, the podcast was, it has to do with the trial now that's taking place, November of 2017, and on the stand... After the opening statements by the assistant DA Mike Garza and the lead defense attorney over in Flores, uh, a guy, a local attorney by the name of Daryl Davis, took the stand. And Davis is significant because in 1960, he was a young man working with a local TV station, Carriage TV Channel 5, based in Westlaco, Texas. And at the time in the Rio Grande Valley, there were only two TV stations. There were a handful of radio stations three, four daily newspapers. And so there's a handful of uh, media outlets, and some of them were owned by the same entity. So, in other words, the way to get out the news was held in the hands of a few. So Davis was on the stand yesterday saying that, I'd have to look at the date, but I think it was in March of 62, The and all this time you got to keep in mind that the investigation was going on looking for the murder of this 25-year-old teacher, Irene Garza, because in 1960, in Hidalgo County, uh, violent crime was almost unheard of, right? As in, was the case in most parts of the country, actually. So, Daryl Davis takes the stand yesterday, and he tells a story about how the DA called him and between eight and ten other reporters into his office, told him it was off the record, told them that he, meaning the DA's office, knew that father fight, as he as he called him in the this off-the-record deal with the reporters. Father fight, we know father fight murdered Irene Garza. The Catholic Church knows that he murdered Irene Garza, but we struck a deal whereby he's going to plead no contest, no look contendere, to the attempted rape charge, and he's going to... In, for that, the DA's office and the sheriff is just going to let the Catholic Church take him away, and they promise to put him in a monastery where he's going to stay for the rest of his life. And turns out he lasted, he didn't stay for the rest of his life. And the church is going to punish him more than the state could ever do. So these reporters, between 8 and 10, <laughs> they go back to their respective news directors and editors and tell them, 
So already we're thinking, okay, we got 10 reporters between 8 and 10. They tell their respective news directors and editors, so that's another 8 to 10. So already we got 20 people knowing about the deal, that this Catholic priest killed his beautiful, sweet young teacher who was just by the description of uh, her friends on the, on the witness stand. It was just, I mean, the woman was just like an angel in terms of helping the poor. Uh, the students she taught that really poor, she would use her own money to buy them supplies. I mean, went to mass regularly, confession so often. Although I'm sure she had nothing really to confess about, and her friends would just kid her and say, why are you going to uh, confession, Irene? You just went three days ago, that sort of thing. So Daryl Davis is on a stand, and, and I talked about this in podcast yesterday, talking about this meeting with Lattimore. And so when the his lead... Uh, Defense attorney gets up there, which was uh, uh, over in A. Flores. He is trying to turn this backroom corrupt, underhanded, nobody knew about it deal into describing it as a plea deal. <laughs> which, and I don't mean to laugh, this is a serious deal when, it, when a woman gets murdered, but yesterday he tries to call this a plea bargain. And so the judge in the case, the state district court judge, Louis Singletary, he makes the comment, I'm paraphrasing, well, you know, now this is after the assistant DA, Mike Garza, said this was no plea deal because if it were a plea deal, it would have all have been had to have been entered into the official record, right? None of that was entered in the official record. The only thing that was discussed was this off-the-record meeting with these with these uh, reporters, with the DA, admitting they knew fight was a murderer. The church knew it, but they were going to just let him take off. So his defense attorney, like I say, is trying to turn this, constantly call it a plea deal. And the judge at one point, I think I mentioned this yesterday, said, well, I've never seen a plea deal where the prosecution will let a guy copped to a misdemeanor, which is what the assault against Maria America Getta turned into be, just so, and, and then let him walk on a murder rap, which is just what happened, right? Some plea deal. Anybody, any murderer would take that plea deal. Any murderer would probably plead guilty to, or in this contest, or in this case, no contest, to, I mean, multiple misdemeanors if somebody's going to let him walk for murder rap, right? And that's what happened uh, so today I was, I was going through the court testimony, uh, seven days worth of it, six, seven days worth. And this is still the first day of the, uh, the testimony and Daryl Davis is still on the stand. So yesterday we ended up with this, with him on the stand, but it was going to run too long. So I had to cut, cut his testimony in, in the two pieces. So we'll pick up today where we left off yesterday, uh, Flores is asking Daryl Davis, been an attorney for, I don't know, 40 years before that. As I already mentioned, he was working with a local TV station as a reporter. And so Flores asked him, so you'd agree that Fight neither admitted or denied the charge against him? This is in a no contest uh, charge, no contender that he, that he copped to. Uh, Davis says that's his position, but with the law, no contest means you're found guilty and that will be on your record. Uh, then Flores talks about the trial up in Austin. That was a mistrial, wasn't there? And Davis says, I remember it as a hung jury. Um, so that means the jury was not able to come to a conclusion about the allegation made in his involvement with Marie America Getter, right? Okay, and Jerry Davis says, that's right. Why he's even getting off on his tangent, I don't know. I found in a lot of these murder trials, 
when when a defendant has no defense, so to speak, what the attorneys will do will just try and they'll they'll, they'll come up with all these different things that trying to throw the jury off. In my opinion, they'll go down this rabbit hole and they'll go down that rabbit hole, and none of it leads to the truth. I mean, nobody's interested in the truth, which I find offensive, but. That's the way the American justice system is made up. In fact, I couldn't be a criminal defense attorney. I could be, but I would look at a case, and uh, if I thought the guy or the woman was guilty, I'd say, hey, I can't take the case. In this case, I think Flores was assigned the case, but still, I I, I couldn't do what he did. And not just him, a lot of criminal defense attorneys. Uh, Okay, so Flores is talking about the Austin trial, a fight for the attempted rape of this woman three weeks before he killed Irene Garza. So Flores is saying that means that uh, in a hung jury, meaning one of those juries had reasonable doubt, didn't they? And Davis is saying, well, at least one. And it wasn't after the trial in Austin, the hung jury, that there was an agreement. This is the attorney Flores speaking, or a deal struck between Robert Lattimore, the DA at the time, the church and Mr. Fye to enter into this plea, correct? Davis says, I think I'd agree to that. You understood that the America Geta case had been resolved, right? Davis says yes. Part of the re- resolution of that case included an agreement that called for a plea for John Fight. Uh, yes. Davis says, Fight had entered this plea before. Because of this plea, the Irene Garza murder case had been resolved, and it was going to be resolved by him being sent off by the church for the rest of his life to a monastery. This is what the DA is telling these reporters at the time in his office in an off-the-record uh, discussion. So then Flores, oh, I'm, when I heard this, I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. You're going to go down this rabbit hole? Yes, he did. So Flores says, are you familiar? And he's talking to Daryl Davis, the attorney on the witness stand. Are you familiar with the phrase prosecutorial discretion? <laughs> in fact, in my notes here, I said, OMG, really? Oh. Uh, and that means basically, if I'm elected prosecutor, as Flores talking, I can use my own discretion on whether or not to proceed on a criminal case. This is Davis saying, correct. And it happens all the time, correct? Davis, yes. District attorneys decide not to proceed because there isn't enough evidence in some instances, correct? Davis, right, for any number of reasons. Flores, so there wasn't anything, as far as you understood that Robert Lattimore did that would lead you to believe that he was acting in any way, shape, form, or fashion outside his prosecutorial discretion. Davis, I had no reason to believe that. (laughs) Seriously. Wow. Okay. Nobody knew this about, but these reporters and the DA and the sheriff and the church, it's a backroom deal, but we're going to call this prosecutorial discretion. Seriously. Uh, Davis, in those days, reporters were taught to be very objective. Today, there's a different journalistic standard. There's more advocacy journalism that takes place. Back in those days, we prided ourselves on being absolutely objective. Whether we were or not, we wanted to think we were. No disrespect to Mr. Davis, but if I had been on that meeting, I would have found some way to tip off some law enforcement. I mean, off the record just means you can't report it. doesn't mean you can't go talk to the Texas Rangers or the FBI. But at that point in time, would anything have happened? I don't know. Um, asked Davis in subsequent years, did he talk to anybody? He says no. Uh, 
He says, from what I understand based on your previous testimony, you understood this was some kind of cover-up. Says the attorney Davis, no, I didn't consider it a cover-up. I considered it to be a resolution of a case. Wow, okay. Um, And here's Flores. Okay, prosecutorial discretion, perhaps? Well, for whatever reason, they had to make a deal with the church. Flores, in the interest of justice, perhaps? And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? In the interest of justice, you're talking about letting a murderer go, man, (laughs) scot-free, just for copping to a misdemeanor charge of assault. That's justice? Seriously? Well, the parents are are grieving, broken-hearted, and they're going to ship this monster off, and that's justice? Oh, my God. Look up. And by the way, the book that I'm writing about this killer in the clerical collar, I'm not going to add my editorial comments to this, but doing this podcast, listening to this testimony, I end up unbelieved by what I'm hearing and so forth. And, yeah, I take offense, but whatever. I'm just a member of the paying public and or a reporter, but... I've seen cases in this one. Don't try to tell me that interest of justice is to let a murderer off so just so he can cop to a misdemeanor, please, seriously. Um, Davis says, yeah, the DA might have been afraid to face another jury. So remember, the Austin deal was deadlocked 9-3, to three, so the DA would have had to have retried the case. Uh, and Flores, you can't tell me Robert Lattimore had insuff- or sufficient evidence to proceed against him. Davis obviously says, I have no idea. Uh, okay, and that was pretty much it with Davis. And I think I'll get to this one tomorrow, but it's uh, it's this one. This one's a heartbreaker. In fact, woman's name is Sylvia Acevedo Stern. She was... She grew up with Irene. Irene was about seven years older than her. Irene's parents were her godparents. She worshipped, uh, worshipped is not the right word. She idolized uh, Irene. Irene taught her how to dress, how to do this. I mean, she just, and it was just a heartbreaker when she describes the day that Irene went missing and and all of that. But we'll get that in uh, tomorrow's podcast. It's uh, in 18 minutes, how fast time flies. Anyway, we'll catch you on the other side. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Adios.